Hey, so welcome to the Back to Ones podcast. I'm sitting here with Joel McCarthy, local filmmaker, film festival director, in a sense, uh, <laughs> VFS teacher. Hi, Joel. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing really good. Nice. I'm pumped. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for taking uh, taking time out of your busy schedules to drop by and chat with us. Um, so I've got a list of things that I want to ask you about because you do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I guess first of all is the 48-Hour Film Fest because you just did the horror rendition of that for October. What was that like? Uh, well, so Run and Gun and Blood and Guts uh, kind of came out of a lot of... when I So when I started being a filmmaker at like age 10, um, there was a... Port Moody did a 48-Hour Film Contest and it was the first time that I had any of my stuff screen on a big screen. And for me, it was a really important moment of growth. And the thing I liked about the competition was it didn't matter um, where your skill set was. You know, everyone got to participate. Everyone got screened. And uh, it really helped me grow seeing my stuff in front of an audience for the first time. Because this is also before YouTube. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like what inspired me. And then as I got older and got more involved in the film community here, I guess I got really frustrated that a lot of people just talk about filmmaking and don't do much filmmaking. And I kind of got, I think, I think I went to a few film events where I was just like, Oh, if I felt, if I had a film <laughs> event, I'd do it so much better. And then, and then I kind of, I kind of, I try to get into this mentality. If like, if you're going to complain about something, you have to be a part of the solution. That's like kind of where one of my mottos. And so (laughs) if if it's something that I I know I'm not going to put any effort into controlling or trying to make it better or to anything like that, I don't think that it's fair for me to, to complain. I'm saying that's my, my personal thing. I'm not saying that that's what people should live by or whatever. So, uh, I went to, I basically, I had gone to a lot of the filmmaking competitions and film competitions. And I basically was like, here's all the things I want to do. I want it to be very, uh, no F's given. I want it to feel like punk rock and I want it to be like a fun event where everyone's included and it's about the films and it's not about the pageantry and it's not, and it's nothing wrong with any other film events, but yeah, it, it, but it just, it's slowly grown way too big and (laughs) we're, we're figuring out what to do with it. Well, I think it's fun. I don't know. It's, it's nice to have something where you've got this 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 handicap on yourself. Yeah. So it takes that pressure of off of oh it's got to be my best work. Oh it's got to be the next, you know. Yeah. Oscar award winning short film or something and it's just if it's if it's terrible, you have a perfect excuse. If it's great, then hey, look what you were able to do in 48 hours. And I, and I think that time is ultimately the, the the biggest handicap on a film anyways, regardless of budget, equipment. Like people always get so upset being like well, that team shot on an Ari Alexa and they had a red and we just had a DSLR. But uh, I think back to like the first year where the team that cleaned up had a DSLR and one lav and they, they were able to tell a really interesting story incorporating those elements. And it's really about telling something interesting. And with you guys, you know, you guys still had a a relatively nice camera, but uh, you know, you guys had a great camera, but (laughs) if, 
if you the film that you did, um, uh, what's it? Uh, what's it called again? Influenced. Influenced, which won uh, <laughs> best film and a number of a slew of other awards. Um, if you guys didn't, um, my brain is mush. Uh, if you guys ended up shooting that on like a two hundred dollar, or if you guys shot that on a webcam, I still think you guys would have slayed. I think that. In fact, it might have even made it more realistic. Who knows? Feedback for the cinematographer. I mean, <laughs> that's the fun thing too, I think. It's, yeah. it's the interesting thing in Vancouver is because we, we have so many shows coming up from the United States. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work for, for grips and for, for those technical departments to, to get in there and practice and work at a level um, that really raises what they can do. And, and establishes kind of uh, procedures for how to make things look amazing. Um, if you're an actor, a writer, a director, it's a bit of a different course. Yeah. So we know that we can make things look amazing here, which leaves us with how do we raise the bar for, for the directing, writing, editing. And I like the fact that the 48-hour thing, it takes a bit of the focus off of, of technical perfection. Yes. And says, what can you do in 48 hours working with, you know, a story on paper, working with, with good actors, working with a director who, who has, you know, a limited, a limited window of time to really coax performances out. Um, and I, I do, I think that especially in this industry, those are the three things that if we can really work on honing those and raising the bar on those, everything else will follow. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to, like you said earlier, people not being too precious about their stuff because like, the 48-hour film festival is, is like the equivalent of going to the gym for a director or something like that. Like, if people aren't working on these muscles of directing, of writing, et cetera, and just waiting for some big opportunity to come, they're not going to be sharp when that does come. Like, the best boot camp I've ever done was just deciding I was going to make, a, for a while, like, I'm going to make a lot of stuff on YouTube. And that was like, whoa. I get instant feedback from the audience. I, I'm you know, get to, I'm, I'm being less precious about these things. It's just for YouTube, not putting it out in festivals, et cetera. And it, it made me a stronger filmmaker. And as a teacher, uh, my advanced directing class, they have to make a one minute film every week based on what we learned that week. Because I, I firmly believe like, sure, I could talk about directing for hours and hours and hours, but you physically going out and making something will, will be a better education than, you know, hours of lecturing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, to start with those very basic, simple things that anybody can do usually for free, you know, um, write a, write a script that you feel is good. Spend the time understanding how to work with actors, how to work with a cinematographer, how to do those things. Those are all skills that you can do and learn pretty much for free because thanks internet. (laughs) Um, and I, and my big thing lately that I've been talking to, to, to people about is how it is so much faster, easier, and cheaper to fix it when it's on the page than oh, at yeah. any other phase. So, I mean, that starting with a good script is like building a house on a good foundation for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer of that. When, uh, like right now, uh, me and my writing partner just finished our new feature, and every single draft, we try to get a room of new people to read it, um, you know, whether it's actors or writers, whatever read it out loud, and then we have like a good hour-long discussion after. Uh, so we hear it out loud, so you really hear what's working, what's not, uh, once it's, you know, presented like that. And then we do a new draft, and like, 
we we've we've recently finished our sixth draft and like each one of those went through having to painstakingly listen to people say it out loud and you're like oh i can't believe i left that in or that joke doesn't work and yeah you got to fight that script to make it the best it can be yeah and it's great to get out there in front of people like you're saying i mean and even not necessarily like a room full of a bunch of writers because that can become too many cooks in the kitchen true um but just have people just even yeah getting it out into the air where you hear where things work or don't work um and especially if you have different personalities who aren't going to view it the same way you do, definitely can bring up where, you know, there's a plot weakness here or can we make this better? Some of the most interesting scripts that I've written have, have I've worked with people that I just wouldn't normally work with. Um, yeah. There's a bit of like clash, but it, in a creative situation like that, it's good because it, it challenges you to raise the bar of your work and make sure that it resonates well. Yeah, it's it's often really good working with someone with a reasonably different uh, perception of things because then you have to find that place in the middle where it works for both of you and it'll usually end up uh, working well. And like, I'm not going to lie, the, the writers room, it's mainly me, me and my writing partner, Mike, but it's it's mostly mostly us going on wa- long walks and fighting over things. And then that somehow turns into a script. Yeah, no, I think that's... <laughs> Perfect. That's that was my mantra during a few writing things where it's like, if you have another idea, fight me. Because if you win, it'll be stronger. If I win, yeah. it'll be stronger. Either way, it it grows. And as long as you can do that, you know, respectfully. Yeah, and as I, a I, team. I I think that works best uh, when you've got a bit smaller teams. Like I, I know people will try to get that done with like a group of ten people trying to compromise, and that's that's when you really water something down. I think you need you know, three, maybe four people cooks in, in that kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then once it becomes too much, it's just like... Yeah, or even just like story editors or just people yeah. giving feedback where you can take it or leave it, but at least it shows you where where there are weaknesses. You have to clean things up a bit. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So you teach at VFS as well as I do. running crazy festivals and, and making ridiculous, crazy films. Um what if there was one, two, three things that your students would say that you're always reminding them, telling them if there's like three lessons that you think that you hope that every student takes away from your class, what are those? I think like one thing that I hammer on a lot and is to, to you have to be the biggest bullshit detector that like the amount of times you sit behind the monitor, like, Oh, that didn't really look like that. Like it's not going to look better in, in post. Right. You know, just like, even even like like for instance like like there was a short recently where and I, I think this could have there could have been just a creative solving of, of of with a line or something like that but there was a short that that I'd watched recently where two of the main characters are brothers and sisters and they clearly don't look the same nationality which is cool like that that can very well be what brothers and sisters are but they also had drastically different accents. And not addressing that in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's okay. Like, I think that you can be adoptive. You could have had a different parent of a different nationality. But when you're both talking about dad, like, you knew him very well, and you have drastically different accents, there's a certain level of bullshit in there that, like, no audience member is going to be like, oh, yeah, I buy that. Mm -hmm. So just for everything, like, to, to, like, 
really sit back there. Like, do I believe that this person believes this, et cetera? Like you're the first audience member when you're watching that monitor and you have to, the audience is not going to be nice when it comes to them pointing out the bullshit. So you have to point it out. Mm-hmm. Even like, you know, the way in a recent short we did, the waiter uh, passes a beer and, and says, here's the lager. And it's, and in, as a beard nerd, it's too dark of a beer. And uh, I was producing this, so I wasn't on set at that exact moment. And so when we're in post, I was just like, guys, anyone who knows their beer is going to know that that's not a lager. So yeah. it's like an off-camera line of him saying uh, you know, something else. Oh, that flashes me right back to like one of the first films that I did, uh, which was a student film, which is maybe okay that they didn't know yeah. this, but they're like, here's your Cabernet Sauvignon passes a glass of white wine. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking back at that. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> well, and, and that's what I'm saying is like, you, you gotta be, you gotta voice it up. And, and it's tough because with student films, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, but like something like that, like I'm sure someone on that set knew that a Cab Sav is a red wine. And just like went, oh, it's not my position. Yeah. Or if, or if nobody did, did, I mean, there's kind of slowing things down enough during the writing process to do the research and kind yeah. of honor your character's reality. If somebody's a bartender and you're not a hundred percent on like what a bartender might say or do, I mean, sitting down with a friend who tends bar or. Yeah. I, yeah. I made a fatal mistake, uh, in my crazy eights film, oh, no. uh, no, no, not a fatal mistake. And, and, I, and I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because everyone dies in that uh, film. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's not that big of a mistake. mistake. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I think that the actor did a phenomenal job of this role. I loved what he brought to it. But um, I, I had the actor that was playing the waiter. I somehow hired the only actor that has never been a waiter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, and so at the beginning, Burn. at the top of the scene, he's like delivering two glasses of wine instead of pouring them. And like, I realize now that how stupid that is and I cringe, but I wish that someone had my back there because I hadn't worked in the restaurant and it's not until post <laughs> that I find out I'm like, oh. Damn. And like, I, I see it every time and I cringe in that scene every time at that moment. And it's just like that level of research is like so important. And yeah, I, it's one little detail I just never thought about. And then it was like, yeah, you deliver two glasses of wine and like, and they, they just took, took my word as, as the Bible. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Ugh. So research, research, research. Yeah, it, it's super important. Even if you're doing a film that's very much in your realm, there's always research, um, which is tough because having the internet in a writing room can be very distracting, um, especially because me and my writing partner love memes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's like, you know, we just got hired to rewrite uh, an Amish thriller Lifetime movie, um, which I don't know if I can talk much more about that, but the amount that we had to like unpack and learn about the Amish before we could even touch it was a lot. Excellent. I, <laughs> I can't wait to watch that one. You'll have to like, let me know when it actually comes out. For sure. I don't think we'll, our names will be credited on it, but we did a lot of work on that script. I still want to watch it. Fair enough. Um, so you direct a lot of comedy. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> what? Oh, maybe. Um, <laughs> as a director, what's your, I mean, comedy is, to me, the most difficult thing to do as an actor. It either hits or it doesn't. And there's like, 
almost a science to it and then part that's just magic. How do you approach that as a director working with your actors? Uh, well, yeah, a lot of comedy is timing and a lot of it is, is just the situations and having people play it really serious and, and being in that moment. I think when, when actors are like, when people are trying to be funny, it's really not funny. It's, it's always like thinking like, Oh man, what's the worst thing that could happen right now? And like things like that is where the, where the comedy comes in or how can I make this situation more awkward? Um, but I would, I I would, I would clarify that a bit. I I don't think I, I necessarily make more comedies than other genre films, but I, comedy is always an element in there. Whether it's doing a drama, because uh, I, I think Inconceivable is a full drama. I don't I don't at all see it as a comedy, mm-hmm. but I do believe that we empathize with characters more if they make us laugh. And I think that um, there's something inviting about there's something that you love more about people that that make you laugh in general. Like uh, there, I was looking at like a a poll of trustworthiness when it comes to. Um, uh, news and political commentators. And it was just weird how like, it was like Stephen Colbert, John Stewart, John Oliver were like at the very top of trustworthiness in news when they're comedians. And it's because they, they, they make you laugh while they, they're telling you important things about life. And, uh, so I think in, in every, it, it bleeds down to everything. So I just, I love comedy. I love I think I think I find myself in really awkward and in awful situations a lot. I don't know what I do or how I invite it. I think a lot of it is like I I am a bit of a pushover to a certain level and then I just like all of a sudden find myself in like the most extreme situations because I like am bad at like saying no to something or whatever. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. I can relate to that. <laughs> Nice. You mentioned earlier that um, one of your biggest ways of learning was starting your YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and you've done like really well with that. I think everybody's like, oh, how do I crack into YouTube? And, and you've really... So, yeah, I, I, I learned... But I, I, I... So at first, I was just pissing in the wind when it came to YouTube. I'd put stuff up. Some would go get a decent chunk of views. Some wouldn't. And it's not until... It's not until recently I learned how to like game the system not not necessarily but like there's like a few different things to look for and, and I, I gotta give full props to my my buddy Thomas Morrow who um who like two years ago basically told me yeah I'm gonna start a, a broadcast studio in my basement uh playing video games uh, on YouTube and I was like oh okay and you know they're going for months and barely anyone was watching and it was like good, good job on that. And like, I don't understand that world at all. And then I just blinked and looked back one day and it had over 50,000 subscribers and crazy amount of, of people getting involved, et cetera. And, uh, and now they've all quit their day jobs and just play video games for a few hours a day as a living. And I was just like, wait, what, how? (laughs) Um, and he kind of started explaining to me, like, there's so much like how important keywords are and like the first sentence of your description and what you put in your description and your title and your tags. Like, and there are tools, like there's a thing called vid IQ. You can write that down vid IQ that, um, 
is like an awesome tool. The free version is still awesome. And I use the free version, but like when I open up a video on a YouTube video on Chrome, my whole like right side of my screen gives me like crazy amount of stats. It tells me what keywords are working for it, what aren't, uh, how people are finding the video, the, you know, demographics, like all these crazy informations, uh, you know, each keyword, how often people are searching that keyword, all that sort of stuff. So when you get a new project together, you still have to make it for, you know, a certain level of niche or something that, that has an invested interest, whether you're making it about, you know, Pokemon Go or whatever it may be. <laughs> you, you still really, you can't, it, it's really hard to do just broad comedy, broad drama and people find it. But if you can find a niche that some people are into and, and learn how to keyword it right. Um, and then the, the, the best thing is as your channel grows, as you get over 10,000 uh, subscribers, then that system kind of gives you like, it, it kind of just like automatically shoots you to the front of things and what have you. So, you know, when I was helping produce uh, uh, Automate recently, like that one, I knew exactly how I could market it. I stole uh, keywords from videos that I knew had a similar audience. I tried, you know, to find, you know, three different audiences that we were trying to get with this film and, and how we can attract them using the right keywords so they would show up when you're watching you know, this or that. Right. And, uh, and yeah, I think, uh, we, we just cracked 300,000 views yesterday and that one. Congratulations. Why, why thank you. But, but <laughs> day one of that one is like, okay, I think I can, I can get this one. I, I think I can get an audience for this one online. And so my goal day one, we, I always, whenever I start a project, I do think it's important to get the keys in a room and, and say, what do we want to do with this film? So whether it's, you know, we want to get into cons, we want to get into South by, we want to win awards with it. We want, uh, whatever that goal is, I think is the first thing you guys got to think about. And that's, that's something you got to write, think about in the writing room and the prep and all that sort of stuff in through post, because you don't just like decide once it's done, like what you want to do with it necessarily, I think. And so my goal for that one was just million views. That's all I want. Awesome. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. No, I think it's great to have, um, YouTube is this amazing tool for the independent filmmaker because it doesn't really matter where you are if you are smart about it. And like you said, use these tools and optimize these things. There's a chance to, to basically break the roof of wherever you're at in your career and go straight to the audience, which, uh, that's the biggest opportunity maybe for us right now as independent filmmakers. Yeah. I think that like, Absolutely. Getting, getting right to the audience is, is huge. And like, uh, I think like my, my first, when I did my third year final film in film school, it was kind of written after, uh, my aunt took me to Jesus camp. And, um, I, uh, I was really upset when I left this Jesus camp in, in California, uh, because it was incredibly homophobic. It was incredibly, regressive and they were just preaching like things that, that I never thought I'd hear Christians say. And the audience was like screaming with excitement and speaking in tongues and all sorts of shit that I just had never experienced or known. Right. And so kind of out of anger, I wrote a little script, uh, 
about like what would what would it be like if if a gay kid was growing up in that culture and i know that's not necessarily my world and i did more research and i looked at people's stories and stuff like that and ended up writing this short called why does god hate me and uh I wanted to do that one. I wanted that one to do well at festivals, and I thought it was an interesting enough dynamic. And when I finished film school, we did do well in festivals with it, et cetera. And then festivals were done. I put it on my Vimeo, and it kind of just sat there. And then one day I was like, hey, maybe I'll put this on my YouTube. And we have like almost 5 million views on it. And the amount of like mm. letters I've received from kids who've grown up in similar communities that like, don't feel that there's anyone like them. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the right messenger for that or whatever, but like I've gotten some of the most like heartwarming letters from people and, and like the film ended up meaning so much to so many people. And I, I still have kids that tell me that they watch it every single day and it gives them hope that there, that there is going to be a better future for them and all that sort of stuff. And it, that was the moment where I'm like, Oh man, there's a power to filmmaking and like, Sure, I could have done a certain amount of research on a couple of things there, but like when you hit a message that that someone needed to to hear, it's a it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, there's a power to seeing ourselves on screen, especially if we're in a situation where we feel really alone. Yeah, to see not to say representation, but yeah, you know, to to see someone else sitting in a struggle so familiar to ours and overcoming it or, or just, or living with it or however they're surviving it, um, to connect to someone like that and know there's, there's somebody else out there. Yeah. And like, I, I, you know, no idea how common that story was in like rural America and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's, that's been an insane ride of, and like, it it got kind of too overwhelming because we, we still have like thousands of people watching it every day. So I like, I don't. I no longer get YouTube notifications straight to, straight to my phone, uh, mainly because like you know I'd be in class and I'd be like, okay, what time is it? And I look at your my phone. And it's like you're a faggot. I hope you die. And you're like, okay, uh, why don't we break for a moment? <laughs> like, it's a it's a it's a lot to take in in that moment. Sorry, I'm not sure what oh, your yeah. language. Oh no, barriers are on this show. It should be good. I'm sure I can adjust them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. I think it's a true mark of success, both that you've turned off the the automatic notifications, <laughs> but also, um, I don't know, there's a certain level of success in having people hate your work as oh, opposed yeah. just to just, oh, yeah, it was great. There's like, to have people actually really feel something to your work means that they connected with it on some level. Yeah, the, the worst thing you can do to an audience is to bore them. Uh, if you make them angry, you make them happy, you make them laugh, you make them cry, that's all much better things. It means your 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 work, yeah, you made them feel something. But boredom is 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 when you've messed up as a filmmaker. Cardinal sin. Yep. <laughs> I just think that uh, you know, with film, it's it's a strong tool. It, it is I think the best tool for communicating empathy. Uh we look at a lot of the progress we've made as a society with uh LGBTQ people, with uh, race relations, et cetera. And seeing people on screen go through things is, is something that we can all helps us grow as a society. So yeah, I'm saying don't, don't think every film you make is, is super precious and that it needs to change the world, but also know that there is a certain level of responsibility that also goes in with filmmaking. But, um, yeah, 
change the world. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> it's early in the morning. It is. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for stopping by. All right. Adios. Adios.